You are listening to Hashtag Breaking the Myth by Psych Bigyan Network Nepal. We are a non-profit organization based out of Nepal that serves to advocate for mental health awareness. Through this podcast, we wish to break certain misconceptions that might surround the idea of mental health and its care and hope to break some popular myths we often see in media. If you like this episode, share it with your friends or anyone else who might appreciate it. Hello and welcome back to Hashtag Breaking the Myth podcast. My name is Ash. I am a psychology graduate uh, who has interests in um, body image research, language research, and, and I'm here to be your, uh, hopefully, your number one mental health advocate. So our usual uh, co-host, uh, Kripa Sigdal, she's not here today because unfortunately she is sick. Don't worry, it's not COVID. She's just giving her uh, senses a little bit of rest. It's just like flu season right now, so people get sick. So we do have another very special guest with us today. That is Simone. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, she is our program associate at Psychic Network Nepal. Um, I know you didn't expect that like noise introduction, but it just, you know, happened naturally. So Simone, do you want to introduce yourself? Tell us like what you do for us and, you know, in general in life. I'm loving your energy here and I simply sounds a little low on levels but um do know that I'm inside like even though I'm mostly not um I'm sort of dead inside I still do feel happiness to be here with you right now so uh besides that um, hi my name is Simone and I'm usually very anxious about a lot of things I am too a psychology graduate and I would like to describe my personality as a research enthusiast and a budding mental health practitioner. And yes, I'm here today with you to talk about what it is that we're going to talk about. Okay, so we're here to talk about um, mental health <laughs> in South Asian communities. So uh, Simone and I have had like many debates on this in the past. Um, talking about our own experience within uh, our communities, how that has changed from the past and just kind of our vision for how we see it going into the future with our degrees in psychology or knowledge of psychology. Uh, so essentially the where we can really start with is uh, there's still a huge stigma in South Asian communities uh, surrounding mental health. There's um, a lot of demonization of mental health as well. So a lot of people really do like using the terms crazy and, oh, are you uh, go going to be sent to the mental hospital? A uh, small anecdote, I, I just yesterday I was like on a walk with um, my neighbor's daughter and, uh, you know, she's uh, local to India and, you know, she grew up here and she was telling me about how she had experiences with anxiety during her exams and said that, you know, it usually went out of her control and she had to uh, go to the hospital. And um, she told me how her family even came back at her and was kind of like making fun of her to be like, oh, are you crazy? Like do you really need to go to see a psychiatrist? And although she got the help that she needed at the time, it was a little sad for me to see that she was trying to be progressive. She was trying to take care of herself. And, you know, she's like from our generation, but she still had this like backlash from her siblings and her family members that were like so concerned about her just because she had something she had to go to the psychiatrist for, like go to the doctor for, which is so insane, you know? 
Yeah. And I mean, talking about this stigma towards mental health in our community, I don't think like even us as aspiring psychologists or uh, us as um, professional mental health people, like our community is excluded from this either. Because I remember when I had initially started college, I really wanted to start therapy. I called my mother. It was like the first time I was away from my family. And I'd given her a call about it. I was like, hey, mom, I think I want to go see a therapist. And even though at this point in my life, my mom is one of my biggest support systems and she is incredibly understanding and quite progressive. Her initial reaction to me telling her that uh, I want to go to therapy was very negative. She, she just asked me that, Simone, are you crazy? And this is coming from a person who was a psychology major too in her college years. And she was speaking to a current psychology major in her first year. So it, the, there was a very incongruency in the knowledge that we were acquiring from the books and the education system, but in the practice of our own household. So the stigma is quite uh, there. It's quite apparent and it's quite commonly seen in our community. Exactly. Like none of us are really kept away from it, whether it is like even in our own families or in our communities with our friends. And I think a large portion of this demonization is definitely done through media. So like most recently, I remember, and I've discussed this on the podcast before too, the stuff that happened with Deepika Padukone, she's a Bollywood actress, and uh, just other people in popular media. So Bollywood is really, really popular here and within South Asia as well. So people really look up to these celebrities, which I mean, I have my own personal opinions on whether we should even idolize celebrities or not. But, you know, the ones that have been vulnerable and open about their mental health are blamed. People start saying that they have issues with uh, drug abuse, and that's why they have mental health issues. And actually, quite recently, I I really want to discuss this too, and want to get your insight on it, Simone. Yesterday, the celebrity Kangna Ranaut, she was bullying someone on Twitter. Mm-hmm. She's a really famous uh-huh. Hollywood actress. She was bullying someone on Twitter, this Dalit activist who was just openly sharing. Priyanka, about, right? Mm-hmm, Priyanka. And she was just openly mm-hmm. sharing about her mental health struggles. I mean, I literally do the same. Like, I think all us Gen X, Gen Z people, we are very open about kind of being vulnerable on the internet and she said a lot of demeaning things first of all of course about her physical appearance which I don't want to repeat because that's definitely not true and then second of all she said that she should like just go do some meditation and like fix her life and that's just wrong on so many levels about and it actually does show on so many levels about what people think about people with mental health issues right it's like we just don't have our lives together or like we don't know we don't know what's up or oh meditation what a great you know solution you've given to us <laughs> like go meditate mm-hmm. yeah so um, i i did catch up on the whole thing today morning uh, i was reading up about it 
And I saw that she had retweeted a tweet about self-harm and she, uh, the retweet was a, more about how self-harm is more common than you think. Mm-hmm. And as ma- mental health advocates and as someone who has been uh, doing advocacy for mental health for at least the last four to five months, it's similar to the posts that even I make for even like PNN about, you know, talking about how common it is that people commit suicide and how important it is for people to come out and talk about it. Mm-hmm. And the whole thing, thing about like the whole fight or the e-fight that Kangana and now try to start just kind of like shows the, the layered problems of eastern side of mental health like I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it, it was okay for Kangana and now to say all of those things but I, I, I also want to elucidate why we're on this topic while we're on the topic of mental health on the east and the west when we're talking about mental health in the East, we also need to see these different layers of caste and class and the hierarchy of like where certain women from certain marginalized community or certain upper caste communities where they fall under. And in this example, Kangana Ranawat, who is an upper caste, upper class woman, was trying to bully and make fun of a, a Dalit woman. And that shows the the disbalance, the hierarchy. This is just a very small example that that has come to light. But the thing is that almost all women from the Dalit community, they face these kinds of uh, problems through the upper caste women. And that adds to their layer of trauma, you know. It just kind of adds all of that. And to understand that and to even begin a conversation about how to help these women, how to uplift these people. You need to understand uh, about the whole power disbalance that is is seen here. Yeah, Yeah. the hierarchy that's seen here. And if you don't understand this, if you if you're a person who can't like separate right from wrong, I don't think you can you're even capable of beginning a conversation about mental health in the East. And I think just talking about the layers, like some things that do come to mind for me include definitely the oppression of India as a whole, right? Like we've had definitely a very turbulent uh, kind of history. You know, of course, the British came came by, they ruled us for 200 plus years. And there's the trauma that comes with colonization. And uh, which I know from my personal experiences living in Europe, that is just not talked about at all. The British are not really taught about uh, all the atrocities they committed all over the world. They're just like, oh yeah, our queen, our queen is the best, you know, whatever. No offense to British people, but also take offense if you feel like it. But <laughs> there's a lot of trauma because you left entire generations of people with a lack, a deep lack of access to resources, right? So the only people that were able to really thrive under the British were the elites, the people who were already elite in the existing social hierarchy. So that was usually the upper caste people, the Brahmins and maybe even the business classes that could uh, get the um, exposure or you know, get the access to learn English and move up in a society that was already unequal. But for the people, again, in this existing social hierarchy that were oppressed even before the British, like the lower caste or people who were minorities, um, they continue to be oppressed, right? Their their struggles continue to be ignored in this way. So if uh, a, a light-skinned, upper caste, upper class Bollywood actress directly and openly bullying someone on Twitter that is from a marginalized community, it just really shows, uh, you know, the 
the level of misinformation there is about oppression in our society and how differently even it affects a variety of class of individuals. So that when we look at mental health and, 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 and even challenging mental health in our communities in South Asia, it will look different. Like we, we might look homogenous. We, are, we don't even look homogenous really. But, you know, on the outside to the West, we seem homogenous, but there's so many levels and so many ways in which oppression and those kinds of traumas exist within us that the approach to mental health, I think it is even more important, but there needs to be uh, several levels to the way that could be handled. I think I remember, Simone, you told me that you have some experience with working with uh, marginalized communities here in India, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Yes. I wouldn't say it was like a direct working experience. Me and a group of my friends, we were trying to formulate a small research on how much general life satisfaction or like even subjective well-being do these communities have. And like our target population was women in specific, but we also did manage to interview some other members of the community. So when we set out for this research project, we'd gone to this small marginalized community in uh, in Haryana. And we were talking to these people and like we were four of us and we had taken like a bunch of questionnaires with us. It was a standard questionnaire which measures your subjective well-being. And when we were there, we were like translating each question to them. So suppose there was a question like, if you could go back 10 in your 10 years in your life, is there something that you could change? So we were translating that in Hindi for them and we were telling it to them to like fill it out. And the thing is, they weren't really understanding the concept of regret, the concept of happiness, the concept of satisfaction. When talking about happiness and something that they would like to change about the future, all of them had a very similar answer, which was that they wanted to do something for the children, but they didn't really have any hopes or any aspirations for themselves. Mm-hmm. So it occurred to me while we were there doing the field study, like this is a very small anecdote that I just shared. And there were like several different cases like this that he kept coming up that day. And by the end of the day, all four of us, we had a deeper realization of how terms like even happiness or sadness, depression, even anxiety, how these are very Western terms and they don't necessarily apply to an Eastern side of the world, especially a rural community in India or a rural community in Nepal in our context per se. So it just showed us a need that just talking about mental health, just spreading the words of psychology just making people psychologically aware is not enough we can't just bring concepts from there and try to impose it on people here there there needs to be a certain sense of adaptation or even changing the whole constructs to something that fits this is something that needs to be done that was our insight basically from the small project that we tried to conduct I think definitely in terms of cultural translation, that definitely needs to exist because I think for us living in our urbanized societies, and I'm definitely part of that bubble, right? I'm part of that urbanized bubble. I have had the opportunities to live and work abroad. And to be quite honest, like I'm only in my early 20s, but like a majority of my life, I was uh, shielded from 
understanding these uh, these unequal aspects of my own society. I, of course, uh, you know, people like you and me, we're actively trying to find ways in which we have remained complicit in our views of the world, right? And how much of a divide there is that exists economically, education-wise, socially, opportunity-wise, it's just everything. And it's, I think for me, sometimes, to be completely honest, I wonder with a population so big, uh, it's, it's a question of where do we start? I think definitely uh, holding my heart as somebody who is interested in mental health, I want to help uh, as many people as I can. The starting and doing the work is really mm -hmm. what matters. But it's definitely like the the different levels in which people are affected. In fact, even I definitely want to touch on the LGBTQ community here in India too. From my understanding, uh, from my other South Asian friends, India is actually considered, or even uh, out of South Asia, like uh, my friends from Africa, uh, the continent of Africa, <laughs> not the country of Africa, have told me that India is kind of looked at as this progressive uh, place where LGBTQ rights matter compared to other places where it's criminal and you know punishable by death even in some places. So I think people sometimes uh, don't know how uh, much that can coincide with the oppression and how it can have various mental health effects because even though um, our, our laws are somewhat progressive seeming, right? So we recently uh, decriminalized homosexuality. Woo. We uh, are even looking at, I think uh, there's a bill formed for allowing same-sex marriage to happen, which is way more progressive in my opinion <laughs> than the reality uh, on ground because I do believe I've read news uh, articles on conversion therapy happening, uh, particularly in Southern states. I think in the North, they just are mm -hmm. even more violent in their responses, but definitely in the South. For example, if a woman who is not a minor, right, like these are women, um, maybe queer women that just want to go live with their partner, that are being supported by local police organizations. So the police, they uh, put in a missing request, even though that person left by will. And then they go retrieve that person and put them into a conversion therapy program or lock them up inside their houses. So it's just very hostile environment. Uh, if you don't exist in this, I think as far as I know that like elite queer circle of Bombay, which is like, oh yeah, we can be queer here. Like it's just that urban LGBTQ Americanized, <laughs> you know, idea of yeah. LGBTQ rights, but that is just like in no way. That's I don't even think that's like one percent of what the LGBTQ experience here is in India for everybody else. I mean, even in Nepal, it's quite uh, similar. I'm not sure if you were like following my story, but a couple of days ago, I think like two days ago, there was this really bad incident that happened in Kathmandu itself. There was like a young boy, uh, a young cishet boy in his 20s, probably, or even younger, was caught calling out this transgender woman named Nikisha. And uh, he was just going on a bike while she was walking on the road. And he was just recording her because he spotted her. She's kind of an internet sensation in, in Kathmandu, okay. at least a TikTok star, I would say. And um, he was just recording her on camera and he was using abusive languages like slang and offensive slangs on her. Mm -hmm. I do not wish to recreate 
the language that he was saying oh, upon seeing that it it made me feel really bad about the whole situation here yes like things are quite difficult already for the lgbt community in nepal as well but for the transgender community it, in like the whole spectrum of hierarchy they just seem to be on the most bottom and like I, as i was talking about the layer trauma add to the trauma like of sense here add the caste there add the skin color there add the class there and then you have so many layers of trauma that you don't even know where to start with that person mm-hmm. and even to be able to help this person you are not to be an outsider you like i who want to be a a mental health practitioner can definitely not go up to nikisha and like if she ever chooses to go for therapy or if she ever wants to have any counseling sessions i definitely cannot go up to her and ask her uh, to be my client or i cannot i i definitely cannot help her because i am never going to understand what she is gone through or what she has to go through on a daily basis i can like cannot even begin to empathize with her mm-hmm. and that is something our side of the world is neglecting we just have a very standard workforce for mental health these specific group of people who are going into the field i was in uh, an elite institute i would say elite because it it was prestigious in india i, I was studying in amity uh, it had people from all over the country in my entire batch there i didn't encounter anyone who came from a marginalized community or came from even um, someone who was not from a well to do family everyone in my entire batch was came from a very well to do family or at least as far as i know and that kind of just goes to show what kind of people we are pouring into this workforce and how that's not going to help everyone like we like people like you and i wish to help that's such an important point that you brought up exactly i don't think i I've, i've given too much thought to it but even when choosing a therapist for myself i wanted to look for someone uh one uh, someone who is a woman obviously someone who is south asian or brown even living abroad i preferred it to be at least a woman or at least somebody who's brown or at least somebody who uh, quite recently i found someone who is even queer friendly in their therapy approaches and they like kind of ad- I, i don't want to say advertise it but they they do share that it's it's a safe space for uh the queer uh, community as well which is new to me and it it highlights the importance of the person who is sitting in front of you for them to be able to validate your experiences is so important because in some ways you want to have at least uh, the comfort that the person sitting across from you if you choose to go to therapy if you choose to seek professional help that they um, are able to provide a safe space for you to work out your emotions and work out your uh, troubles and uh, definitely i think mental health is for everyone but even more so it's for the basic survival and the basic entity of the human essence <laughs> for people who are suffering uh, oppression on so many levels it's even more important to take care because that that kind of idea as we are you know upper caste upper class um our place as oppressors We often don't think about these things, right? That's definitely mm-hmm. one one huge factor. If you are to like, you know, sum it up in in a very brief manner, western approaches are finally understanding 
the value of intersectionality in their practices. And I'm not even saying that they have, they're applying it into their practices. They're just beginning to understand the importance of it and that to not everywhere. But in the Eastern uh, side, I feel like we're years behind from it. Like, I don't think that we really understand what intersectionality is. If you were to include intersectionality in mental health approaches, I think we could, we could do far more good. And the real good, the actual good that we aim to do, you know, not just like all good for the upper caste, upper class community. Like exactly. we are actually doing. Yeah, right? just making it intersectional and informed. And it's hard with a smaller workforce already. I think like there is a very small workforce of psychologists even in the country. And just like many other developing highly patriarchal societies, there's not a lot of emphasis given to the social sciences, to humanitarian work uh, and things like that. That's just really not the focus of our society and Given the current administration as well, I think there's a lot of focus on economic benefits and policies quite mirroring, I would say, what Donald Trump was doing in America and just kind of promoting economic interests over human lives. And that's just really, in my opinion, not the way a government should be run. Uh, oops. <laughs> I think that you know, human lives should be at the center of any governance and I um I do some uh, writing, some journalism on the side, and I recently uh, did this article on the Prime Minister of New Zealand, and she's honestly so iconic. Uh, I mean, amongst others, there's definitely a lot of women leaders in the world, but just to highlight her work and how in tune she is with promoting mental health. Or So, for example, there was, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, this was a couple of years ago, but there was, if you remember, there was a shooting in a mosque in New Zealand, and that person um, mm-hmm. live streamed it. The person, the the active shooter. Yeah, so it was a very, uh, very traumatic experience for I'm sure Muslims across the world because they're quite often demonized, and there's a whole <laughs> there's that's a whole other conversation about uh, you know Islamophobia. But what this woman did right after was she banned all semi-automatic rifles, like literally within, you know, a couple of weeks of this incident happening. She even wore a headscarf and, you know, mourned with the families that were affected. And I think that's just such an empathetic approach to leadership. And uh, I'm off tracking a bit from just mental health in South Asia. And I don't mean like the West is some sort of ideal. I don't think uh, even most countries in the West are this progressive with a female prime minister and somebody who's being so empathetic to minorities and being so inclusive in her leadership. But it matters. It matters who you give power to, right? And especially if we're run by these governments, it's important that, of course, we as people can take action. We have power in organization and there's definitely bigger systems that are that are stopping even good humanitarian work. Well, you just talking about the prime minister of New Zealand, it just brought this thought process in my mind right now. I apologize for going off track as well, but it just kind of like really brought this burning thought into my mind that it's not very fair for us to compare our 
progress with theirs you know and i know like this is not what you were trying to say here but i'm just like talking about in general like how you know people compare um a certain country's progress of like a certain eastern country's progress to a certain western country's progress like even even in context of nepal we were under the rana rule on uh, until the 1950s and like only it's it's only after the 1950s that there was a certain sense of freedom in like even the most basic things like people were even allowed to go in the country while the ranas were ruling till the 1950s this is like you know like right <laughs> there it's not even too long ago and after that things started developing and there was a whole civil war going on in nepal for 10 years for 10 whole years there was a decade of civil war which caused so much damage not only property wise or death wise it, it caused so much mental damage that is still being measured even till this date like even 14 14 or 12 to 14 years even after the civil war it's still being measured and for us um, a lot of people try to compare like nepali uh, government is a very common thing that i see happening in nepal but it's not fair like i don't think switzerland um was like you know had to give away parts of its country to a neighboring country just to have its borders safe just to not have colonizers come and rule into the country i don't think switzerland had like uh, i don't know about like 150 years or or something like that that was about a dark age for the country where people weren't allowed to get any education where women were exploited like left right and center and like you need to keep all of these into account when you're talking about mental health because like um there's also this thing called generational trauma and i feel like i'm not saying that that side of the world doesn't have trauma or they don't have suffering and pain i'm, I'm sure they do but our pain and our suffering is quite different from what they have found medication for or or what they have found treatment for and it's not going to work for us you know yeah i definitely agree with you it's uh, not not fair to draw a parallel or that whole stereotype of like poor developing countries struggling suffering like that just didn't happen out of nowhere like human civilization has had many waves and you know historical events happen and we happen to be at the end of the world where a lot of events happened recently like when i say recent within the last 100 to 200 years even india like we gained independence in 1947 which was pretty recent it hasn't been even 100 years it hasn't even been three full generations uh, that are in the workforce like i'm the third generation my grandfather was alive when the british were here so uh, it takes time it takes time to you know develop systems and and recognizing the importance of mental health and all of this is so important because we use our minds to construct these realities we use our minds to construct construct the world around us we need to move beyond just physical health where we are also still struggling like just providing healthcare good affordable and sustainable healthcare for everybody just something that is a hope and a wish for <laughs> this part of the world and um i want to say that you know progress has happened at least with our generation maybe it will be our generation that changes the narrative a little bit but that just means as south asians informing ourselves about some of those class differences and 
some of those intersectionalities that we mentioned is uh, just by privilege, by factor of privilege, if people like me and Simone are going to be the one involved in mental health care here, we need to use an informed approach. We need to understand the inequalities. We need to understand people at their base level of what their identities are and move forward without uh, internal biases and prejudice, which we all have. Just learning about it and informing ourselves is really, I think, what's imperative in our generation. We can continue to blame the generations before us, but uh, they had their own historical factors. Uh, Speaking of generational trauma again, uh, for example, with my parents, I feel like I see, because like I said, I'm third generation and um, like at the time when my grandfather was alive, like our family wasn't really like financially doing well. So like I see my parents, even today, even though we are pr- practically well off, still live in survival mode. It's just mm-hmm. uh, generational things that we carry, lessons that we carry within our traumas and um, things that they understood to be important versus things that they understood to be not important at all. So I think we are finally reaching that stage. Not that there's a particular formula to this, but we're finally reaching a stage where we're moving beyond, uh, okay, money is important, uh, physical safety is important, having food on the table is important. But then beyond that, how are we taking care of ourselves? How are we supporting our families? How are we supporting our communities in a way that we are all happy and thriving together? I think those are the big questions we should be moving forward with. Yeah, I definitely agree with you on this. It's quite important. Yep. Yeah, so that was our small little discussion on how mental health uh, is seen in South Asia, what are the different factors that can affect it? And we really didn't even begin to cover even more things that uh, are involved in that narrative. But uh, we appreciate you uh, taking the time to listen to us. Uh, If you do like this episode, like it, subscribe to us. We have this episode available on SoundCloud, YouTube, and Spotify. Uh, We do have an ongoing Facebook and Instagram page too. So if you live in Nepal, we do offer uh, counseling services. We offer uh, research discussions, which are obviously accessible to everybody around the world. So we we do a lot to advocate for mental health and a lot of different programs. So if you are interested, um, our website link is in the bio. And uh, feel free to reach out to us on any of the social medias and uh, let us know if we can be of support. Mm